Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Titus chapter 1, Grace and Godliness. We're doing the second message in the book of Titus. Uh, It's part of the pastoral epistles, the pastoral letters, required reading for pastors. And the letter is about leadership, and we are all hopefully wanting to improve in our leadership uh, abilities and skills. Um, as we have studied the book of Titus, we have realized that grace comes first before godliness. And I told you that when we picked the graphic, we picked a tree. If you look up at the screen for a second, the trunk of the tree is grace. And grace permeates three areas of life that are talked about in the book of Titus, and they are the church the family, and the world. So the first chapter is going to deal with the church, where the grace of God and the godliness that springs from grace should be going out into the world. Our message, the church of Jesus Christ, the grace that we have experienced goes out through the church of God, the collective people of God. And that church is led by leaders, And those leaders are called elders or pastors or even bishops. And that's what's going to be talked about today. And Paul is going to address the leaders of the church and he's going to talk about characteristics or attributes that we should see in them. It's not going to be about them being perfect because if there was any requirement for perfection, there would be no elders. It's not going to call for sinlessness, but it is going to call for a group of men to be above reproach to be blameless. And that's what we're going to get into. We're only going to go verses 5 through 9 this morning. I'm going to read the first five verses, if you'd follow along with me, and we're going to pray, and then we'll get into it. Paul, a bondservant of God, Titus 1.1, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. One of the key words there is godliness. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. But at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God, our Savior. To Titus, remember Titus was a Gentile believer, my true child in a common faith. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. For this reason I left you in Crete that you might set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Father, as we get into the Word of God now, we want to get the Word of God deep into us. Thank you that your Word is alive, powerful, a lamp to our feet, and a light to our path. May you speak into our lives. We know you are going to right now. And we want to be receptive. We want to have ears to hear what you would say to us and really line up our lives with your Word. So we pray that you'll speak now, add and take away from what I've prepared, and speak to your people, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Grace and godliness. So we defined godliness last week. The Greek word is Eusebia. And I told you there was a church father named Eusebius. The Greek word is Eusebia. And godliness is a God-centered life or a God-dominated life. The only way you can be a godly person is to experience the grace of God. 
Grace is how we, were get, we got saved. We get saved by grace through the channel of faith. But grace also has another sense, and here's what it is. Grace is what God dispenses to believers. He is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Paul prayed three times about a thorn in his flesh, and Jesus said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. We come, when we approach Jesus Christ, our great high priest, we approach a throne of grace, that we might receive grace and mercy in our time of need. Now, we're saved by grace, but grace is also a strength that God gives to us. We get saved by grace, and God keeps us by his grace and empowers us by his grace. So in order to do what I'm going to talk to you about here in these uh, few verses, we're going to need all the grace that we can get. But if you are a man in this audience uh, this morning, in this congregation, and you aspire to leadership, and you should because you've been called to be a leader, this is the mark that you should be trying to hit. And this is also a mark really for anybody in the church because these are going to be high attributes that God calls us to. But these are the attributes of what it looks like to be a leader. 1 Timothy 3.1 is the, there's a parallel passage in, in 1 Timothy 3, Paul says, if a man aspires to the office of the overseer, it is a beautiful work that he desires to do. I believe that God puts a desire in our hearts. That desire for me came very early. I got saved, I had a lot of baggage in my life, but almost immediately I felt a call to the ministry. Almost immediately I felt a call to preach, and God has been working on me for you know, a couple of decades now, actually three decades. I got saved in my early 20s. I got called into the ministry about 20 years ago, and it's been an awesome journey. I had no idea really what to expect when I first signed up, when I first walked down the aisle. When I had a passion to preach, I had no idea what was ahead of me, the odyssey that God would take me on. But it is a great thing and a great ride. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing like it than serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You don't have to be perfect to qualify as a leader, but you have to be passionate about what your life is going to be about what direction do you want to go? The Bible talks to us a lot about purpose, but you have to have something that you're aiming for. And in our society, I kind of wonder how many, even in our church culture are, culture, are aspiring to the pastorate, are aspiring to the office of the overseer. If you are, it's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. It's a noble thing. I believe it's the highest calling on the planet, but it's not an easy calling. Some people, frankly, step away from the call of leadership because they don't want to be inconvenienced. Francis Schaeffer, who was a philosopher, Christian philosopher of years past, said these words, quote, leadership aversion for the sake of personal peace and affluence as one of the primary goals, goals of most people in our culture is not biblically defensible, close quote. It is not biblically defensible for you to make a choice that you will not lead because you don't want to be inconvenienced or you don't want to risk anything. Now, I do understand this. I understand that sometimes when people put their heart out there and their heart gets stepped on, it's hard. Sometimes we want to pull back. Sometimes people want to pull back from the church. There's a lot of people that have been burned by churches and even burned by pastors, disappointed with the, the church or the expression of the church. 
But may I suggest to you that the greatest thing that you could do, you may need to heal from some of that, is to get back in the game, is to put your heart out there again. You're gonna risk it being stepped on, but Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to what? To receive. Look, you can either sit on the bench your whole life or get in the game. And I would just say this to you. If you want to be a leader, here is some of the prerequisites and these are the things to aim for. There's an old saying, it's been around the church for quite some time, he who aims at nothing is bound to hit it. So I pray that this will give you, if you're a young man in the audience today, in the congregation, I pray this will give you some goals. Now remember, all of this stems from grace. The trunk of the tree is grace. R. Kent Hughes was talking about the old and new legalism. There was an old saying in the church of years gone by, and it was the old legalism. It said, if you're going to be a true Christian, you don't smoke or drink or chew or go with girls who do. Now, I uh, have experienced a good amount of life. I never met a girl who chewed tobacco. I think that would scare me away from a girl. However, I knew a lot of guys that chewed tobacco. But the new legalism says now, and here's what it looks like, you gotta be in touch with the culture. So you need to smoke and drink and chew and go with girls who do so you can relate more to the culture. You need to cuss a little, cut it up a little. This is the modern church. This is what some of the modern church says now. If the world's gonna really relate to you, you you need to cuss a little like they do. No, you don't. No, you don't. I think the church just needs to be real, amen? We need to tell people, look, I'm not perfect. If you cut me, I'll bleed. I have same issues. I have loved ones that die. Sometimes my body doesn't feel good, and I'm a Christian, Get me on the racquetball court and I will die trying to beat you. However, I am a Christian, unashamedly a Christian. I appreciate some of the feedback, you know, we get from a guy like Tim Tebow. You know, he's gotten a lot of criticism, but I'll tell you this about Tim Tebow. He's never hidden who he is. You might, you you know, a lot of people don't like him. Oh, he's trying to be a Christian over here. At least he's trying to be a Christian. In, in public places, at least he's not ashamed of what he believes. The church is the primary vehicle by which we carry out the message of the gospel. And look, the world, I think a lot of the world is hoping that it's true. Don't you? I know a lot of the world, you know, jumps on the fallen, you know, uh, person who claims to be something. Amen. But I also know this. I know that there's a lot of people who are watching our lives hoping that the message is true. And one of the primary ways that we give evidence to the truth that there's hope for change, there's a God, and there's heaven, is through our lives. Our lives are not perfect, but I am not the man I used to be. And I would venture to say, I'm sure you're not the person that you used to be. There is a heaven. There is a hell. There is a hope. There's hope for you to change. God has changed me, and he can change you. Look, nobody's arrived But I think of a line from a movie that's not theologically correct, but it's called Field of Dreams. How many of you saw the movie Field of Dreams? Great baseball movie, right? Not not theologically correct. People, spirits don't live in the corn in Iowa, okay? Let's just get that out. However, when Kevin Costner is playing catch with his dad at the end of the movie and he realizes that it's his father, he says to his father, "Is, is there a heaven? And his dad responds, oh, yeah. 
The church has been called to say to the world, oh yeah, there's a God, there's a heaven, there's a hope, there's hope for change. And one of the ways that we do that is through godliness. We define godliness as a God-centered life, a God-dominated life. The opposite of godliness is a word that Pastor Michael coined last Sunday. I hope you all wrote it down. It is selfliness or selfiness. Everybody remember that one? All right, so hopefully you've forever captured that image, right? Hey, folks, this is Pastor Michael Lance, and this is Living Truth Radio, and we'll be back to the teaching in a moment. I want to tell you about a special offer that we have available at Living Truth Radio. It's a book that I've written called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It's all about spiritual warfare. It's all about how to overcome temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's a special offer. Go to our website, livingtruthradio.org. Click on the donate button. And for any donation, we will send you a copy of that book. Just let us know in the contact form that you'd like a copy of that book. And now, back to the teaching. Godliness is a God-centered life, and when you are living a godly life, you help people to see who God is. You don't just live a godly life to live a godly life. You don't just live a godly life in some, you know, on the top of some hill somewhere or in a monastery. You live a godly life to give Christians hope, the body of Christ, and to give unbelievers a glimpse at our Savior. Amen? Christ in us, the hope of glory. This is the way that God has uh, decided to, to do things. He could have used angels and so forth, but he uses primarily the church. And so Paul's talking about the church and godliness in the church, and he says, for this reason, verse 5, I left you in Crete. Now, Lisa, if you don't mind, I have a few pictures of Crete. I want to just show you what it is. Crete is an island kind of off the coast of Greece. It's in the, the midst of the Mediterranean Sea. And it's about 160 miles long. So if, you take a, if you're able to look up here and take a look. So there would be several locations on the island where there could be churches or towns or cities. 160 miles long, I don't know what that is. You know, about here to maybe, what, Escondido. So think of it. It's a long island with a lot of stopping points. In fact, Paul shipwrecked on the island of Crete and had a stopover at a place called Fair Havens and was warning them not to, to risk it. But anyway, he experienced this island. We don't know how the, all the churches got here. We don't learn a lot about ministry in Crete, but if you go on to the next one, it's to give you an idea of just kind of how a portion of, this is one of the beaches off the island. And so this is the place where uh, the instruction comes that Titus is to, uh, he was left behind for this reason. For what reason? That you might, look at verse 5, set in order what remains. Or the New King James says the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city or every town or you could say every church as I directed you. I want you to notice that the word elders is plural and city is singular, every town. Elders in every church usually, and this is going to be actually all the time you see this, you're going to see a plurality of elders in singular churches. What that means is that the New Testament model for leadership, without exception, is a plurality of elders for every single church. Okay? A team of elders for each church. The word elder is presbyteros in Greek. It's where we get the idea of the presbytery, and it technically just simply means someone who is older. Uh, there were elders in Israel. They were typically the older men. 
And it can mean an older man or it can mean a man who is mature, mature in his beliefs, mature in his faith. I was made the elder of a church at 26. I'm not sure what they were thinking, but I had a lot of zeal and passion and growing knowledge. I didn't have any gray hair, so I painted my hair silver just so I'd kind of fit in. But anyway, but here's the idea. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be older by age, but it means that you have to have a level of maturity. Presbyteros is the Greek word. Now, you notice that Paul says, I want you to appoint elders. Uh, some people have taken this that because the word appoint means simply that, that you know, there, there shouldn't be any congregational involvement in the selection of elders. However, I would say even though I think other elders are the best ones to pick out and appoint other elders, the congregation must be involved because the congregation is the place where someone grows their reputation. So the documentary evidence, this is how scholars would put it, would say that congregational affirmation is implied in these teachings because the congregation is the one who can give testimony to the reputation of a man. And these attributes are going to certainly require that a man's life is lived out in front of people. The churches in Crete needed to literally be straightened out. There was a lack of leadership or poor leadership. We can see this in verse 11. If you skip up for a second, there were men who were teaching false doctrine. Uh, go back to verse 10. They were rebellious men, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced, says Paul to Titus, because they are upsetting or ruining whole families or households, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. We'll get into the details of this next week, but there was a false teaching afoot on the Isle of Crete, and Paul said, we have to deal with this. And what was happening was there were leaders, apparently in some of these towns and churches, that were teaching false doctrine. And false doctrine is, is a cancerous thing. When, when you're talking about essential Christian doctrine, there's another gospel, 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4, another Jesus. And if people reinter... Uh, let's, let's put it this way. If people take our terms, Jesus, the gospel, being saved, and redefine them, it sounds okay at the beginning. Somebody might say, I believe in Jesus. But do you know that there's a Jesus in Jehovah's Witnesses? There's a Jesus in Mormonism? The Jesus of Jehovah's Witnesses is Michael the Archangel, the first and greatest creation of God, who, uh, who didn't physically rise from the dead, and I could fill in the blanks for you. The Mormon Jesus is the spirit brother of the devil, Lucifer, just the savior of this planet. There are many planets where there needs to be saviors. They believe that you can become the god of your own planet. They say they believe in God. They say they believe in Jesus, but they redefine our, term, our terms. I'm not talking about peripheral issues like what you believe about the second coming, timing of the rapture, or even arguments about modes of baptism and that kind of thing. I'm talking about a central Christian doctrine. And what's at stake here is that whole families were being ruined, is the word. Whole families were being upset. False doctrine has implications or consequences. People say, well, we shouldn't argue about doctrine. Well, what else are we going to argue about? Doctrine means teaching. And if you teach the wrong thing, you could be wrong enough to lose your soul. You know, the devil's been around for a long time. And he's done most of his effective work, not in atheism, but in false religion, folks. You need to understand this. Most of the world is religious. 
Darwin is a Johnny-come-lately the last couple of hundred years. Most of the world has been deceived by polytheism, false religion, redefinitions of God, saying that there are multiple gods and goddesses and pantheons of this and that. And look, people get upset when you start talking about this stuff, but look, this is what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that there are people who are empty talkers and they must be silenced. Ouch. They must be shut down. And unfortunately, this is not talking about outside the church. This is talking about inside the church. This is talking about Christian churches on the island of Crete where there was a vacuum of leadership. And here's part of the problem. When there's a vacuum of leadership, when good godly men do not step up into the elder pastor roles, a vacuum is created. And sometimes that vacuum allows the wrong leaders to get in. Would you guys agree with me that there's a lot of house cleaning that needs to happen in the modern church? Now, look, there's a lot of good churches, right? A lot of good godly men that are teaching truth. But there's a lot of places, and you can talk to people, they'll, they'll do a circuit around our city, and there's a lot of churches, you don't even have to bring your Bible because they ain't going to preach it. Okay? I'm not trying to be overly critical. I'm just saying that Paul is saying to uh, Titus, we got to do some house cleaning. We got to clean up the house. And I think, generally speaking, an uh, application could be made to our Christian lives just personally. Sometimes we've got to clean up our lives. We've got to get some things in order. If any of you are involved in the business world and you're trying to do sales or you're in a managerial position, that's one of the first things the business trainers say to you. Get organized. Get cleaned up. Get things in order, man. How much more in your spiritual life? Is your house in order? Can I ask you directly? Is your spiritual life in order? What do you do during the week to work on your spiritual life? What's your devotional life look like? How many Bible studies are you in? Do you read your Bible during the week? Or is most of what you get the world's message? Then you come here for 50 minutes and hear the Bible, and that's good, but that's not going to do it. Sometimes we've got to do, do some restoration. We've got to do some house cleaning. There's some unfinished business. I often tell people at memorial services, that, you know what, if your heart is still beating and you're here and you're listening, you still have breath in your lungs. So you can still get stuff done. If there's a relationship that needs to be healed, if there's someone that needs to hear that you love them and you haven't said it, if there's some way you need to make amends, or if there's some ministry that you've been called to work for the Lord yet undone, now's the time to do it. Amen? Now's the time to do it. The devil's going to tell you tomorrow. God says, get your house in order now. I want to use you. Now, that doesn't preclude a period of growth. We all have to grow, but you understand what I'm saying. Paul says, I want you to put things in order. The NIV says, straighten out what was left unfinished, verse 5, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, the word for elder is, as I mentioned, is presbyteros. It speaks of an older man. And then he's going to go on and he's going to talk about some of these characteristics. I want you to notice in verse 7, we'll skip over verse 6 for a second, he calls this same person an overseer. So if you're interested, the word for elder is presbyteros. The word for overseer is episkopos, where we get the word episcopalian. Sometimes it's translated bishop, but it technically means an overseer. So here's how it works. The elder is kind of the mature description of the same person. The episkopos, or overseer, is what he does. He oversees the church. And there's one more term called poimeno. 
And poimeno means a shepherd or a pastor. I'll show you really quick. Turn to the book of Acts. Go to chapter 20. Acts 20, look at verse 17 with me. This is a good uh, cross-reference to see three terms used for the same office. It's found in Acts 20, verse 17, and here's what it says. From Miletus, Acts 20, 17, Paul sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. Acts 20, verse 17, there's the word presbyteros, the mature, older gentleman. He called the elders of the church plural to himself. Skip ahead to verse 27 of Acts 20. Paul says to these elders, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose or counsel of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. They're elders in verse 17. They're called overseers, episkopos, in verse 28. And they are called to what? To shepherd the church of God, same verse 28, which he, Jesus, purchased with his own blood. Verse 17, elder. Verse 28, you have uh, overseer and pastor. So this is the same office. You've heard people try to make the argument that an elder or a pastor or a bishop or overseer are the same person. It just describes that he's mature, that he's overseeing the church, and his main job is to feed and lead the sheep that belong to Christ. It's his church. He purchased them. As a teacher and pastor for many years, do you see any refuge or strength from this epistle that's written by Paul to Titus? Well, Oscar, you know, before you go here, holding fast the faithful word in verse nine, mm -hmm. and then, you know, how it leads, it goes from the overseer, and then it says, there are many rebellious men in verse 10, empty talkers, deceivers. Maybe we should talk about how there's an impact when, so somebody's got a platform, whatever that pl platform may be, and they, they're not solid here, you know, which moves from character to doctrine. And so you start asking questions about, you know, why is this written to some people, this sounds pretty harsh, right? You know, it talks about empty talkers that need to be quieted and all this stuff. And the, the deal is that there's an impact, right? If someone has a platform, they're, they're a so-called shepherd, but they're leading mm -hmm. sheep astray. So I think that's part of what, what, we, what I would want to encourage. These are hard definitions. These are, these are definite definitions of what a leader or elder should be in the church. A lot of people think that they can interpret the Bible or the scripture to what they want it to be. But I appreciate what Paul has here. This is what it takes to be a leader inside the church. Now, I'm sure you've had um, in your ministry, in your time, people coming in off the street wanting to be Pastor Michael, wanting to take your place or perhaps another spot within the ministry but not really working for it, if you will. Mm -hmm. They want to just come right in because they see the success of a ministry as well as a platform. They get to be in front of people. How have you handled that? Uh, sometimes I just want to give them the position <laughs> because, Oscar, the position is not always easy, but that's part of it, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you look at the flow of the words here and this has been categorized as a pastoral epistle. So it's mandatory reading for anybody who's going to uh, go into the ministry, aspires to to be a pastor. Because with that privilege, and, and it's a beautiful, noble thing, we're told in Timothy, uh, to aspire to it. But it does, it does require a sober um, assessment of the cost mm -hmm. and what's required of you. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, 
go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.